Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a kid, I'd played board games with other kids in the neighborhood. And we learned to approach the rules and regulations of these games like Monopoly, Life, and Sorry in a certain way. While most of us seem to know the rules of the games by memory, we usually didn't break out the printed rules and consult them until something went wrong in the game. As in the game Sorry, when some of my friends would try and slide their token on the fast arrow that was the same color as their token, you can't do that according to the rules. You can only slide your token on an arrow a different color than your token. Or a monopoly. Everybody wants to put cash in the middle of the board that you can win if you land on free parking. But according to the rules, free parking is just a space where nothing happens. Heated arguments would break out between us kids and someone would eventually have to pull out the rule book to settle the matter. So in doing so for several summers in a row during childhood, you begin to see rules as things you, you turn to during an argument. Rules rule. And those who can make their case based on the rules have a better shot at winning the game. Funny thing is, we approach life in the church much the same way. We have meetings and voters' assemblies where when things go wrong, someone will blurt, you can't do that. That's against the rules. Or that's illegal. As if we're breaking some state or federal code. It's just like those summer days playing Monopoly with the neighborhood kids. In a way, this is also how we can approach the reading today from 1 Timothy. Paul offers Timothy the qualities which should be possessed by leaders and teachers in the church. How easy it would be to go through this list and evaluate your pastor, your elders, congregational officers, and determine if they should be in or out. If things aren't going the way you think they should be going in the church, how easy it would be to break out the rules from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and make your argument for or against the pastor, an elder, congregational president, whoever. While there are situations where such things need attending, and this list of qualifications can prevent a person from serving as a leader or remove one from office, that's not, only, that's not the only function of this sound, divinely inspired apostolic advice from Paul. We should look at this text as we would look at the rules at the beginning of a game, before the arguments start, before feelings have been hurt, before something happens which needs to be judged. Let's see these qualifications as a picture of the kind of community the church will become. When, it, when church leaders are like this, what does it look like? What is it like to live in such a community? Trevor seems to think he knows. <laughs> we'll listen to him someday when he can speak the words. But in these words... God offers a helpful vision of church life. He offers a vision of a community that works for others. He also shows us a community that doesn't work for others, but for itself. As in our reading from Amos, 
His prophet Amos was sent to speak the word of God into a community that surrounded themselves with luxurious foods and clothing, opulent furniture and entertainment, all while the rest of the people, Israel, fell further away from God and from their sin of idolatry and many other offenses. Even though there was grave injustice in the world, the rich are at ease on their beds of ivory, which doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? Nevertheless, they close their doors to the world and celebrate being at ease in God's capital city. In the parable Jesus teaches in Luke, the rich man reclines at a feast while God has placed a poor man at his door. The rich man, self-indulgent, blinds him to an opportunity for charity, and then we find out it doesn't go well for him after that. He's more concerned with himself than others before he realizes it's too late. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul offers a different vision for the new Christians living in Ephesus. And by the way, Ephesus, you know, is many miles away from Jerusalem and Israel, many miles to the north, but you can see that by Paul's time, the gospel has spread very far. Ephesus, this is a community which follows the way of Jesus. The leader or leaders of this community will not be lovers of money, not be drawn to excess. They're not going to have these beds of ivory and these luxurious banquets, but live in moderation and conduct themselves with self-control. That's what Paul says. The leader of the church will control his concerns for himself and cultivate his concerns for other people. As Paul notes, he'll be hospitable, caring for God's church, and have a good reputation among those outside the faith. The difference between the two communities shown in our readings today is the difference between a life of self-service and a life of self-sacrifice. As a congregation, the people can focus on their needs and attend to their own desires, or they can focus on their Lord and His desire for this church. See, Christ built up His church as an act of self-sacrificial love by dying a sinner's death on a cross even though He had no sin. He took the punishment for sin on our behalf that we would become His children forever. He forgives our selfish struggle to care for only ourselves and shows us that not only are we cared for by Him, but we are also gifted by God to care for others. Our Lord raises among us pastors, deacons, we call them elders here, teachers, leaders who control concerns for the self and cultivate concerns for others. That we would be led to acts of self-sacrificial love. Examples are our preschool, the possible with God donation closet, vacation Bible school, and to some extent even our Oktoberfest. The point being, Rather than living at ease in Zion, congregations are drawn to sharing the life of Christ with others. That's the vision of the church that Jesus started, and that's the vision of the church that Paul outlines for us. And for the leaders, that they foster a community of self-sacrificial love. But notice, at the center of Paul's list of qualifications is the ability to teach. On my first job in the Air Force, I, I 
hadn't even gotten my first stripe yet, I'm sent out on a job with a very experienced sergeant to put some bombs on a truck. So we go into a bunker filled with 500-pound bombs, and all that I see that we have is this flatbed truck, a forklift, and a pallet jack. And this sergeant barks to me, pick those up and put them on the truck. Well, I said to him, are you going to show me how to do this? <laughs> he got irritated. The guy couldn't teach. Some people cannot teach. It's a gift. But in the church, many of us teach. We teach different things. But in the context here, it's teaching the Word of God. We're not to mishandle it with incompetence or even fail to teach, right? But this isn't Paul's main concern. His main concern isn't the ability not to teach. It's false teaching. It was false teachers that was a real problem in Ephesus, teaching something contrary to what Paul and Timothy were teaching. Paul warns Timothy multiple times about false teachers and offers direction on how to teach. What's this direction? Well, Paul teaches teaching is best done in relationship to the teacher. So when we sit at the master's feet, Jesus, and he teaches us, we learn from his experiences. When Jesus calls his disciples, he calls them not only to listen to him, but to follow him and learn from him by participating in the things that he does. So remember the night when he was betrayed? He began the Passover meal by washing the disciples' feet. After such a humiliating act of service, or what the disciples believed was humiliating, Jesus asked them, do you not understand what I have just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. Jesus joins his teaching to life experience. And Jesus' life experience lies at the heart of our Christian teaching of salvation. Because after all, Jesus saves, doesn't he? Saves by dying and rising again to save you and me. So Paul says to Timothy, Formerly I mocked Jesus and his followers. I hauled them out of their homes, into the streets, and threw them in jail. I was an insolent opponent of God. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the chief sinner. Through His gracious work, forgiving and giving salvation, the Holy Spirit prepares pastors and deacons and other teachers to teach. They give to others this word of grace for which God saves. People today, man, they're as fierce as warriors of their beliefs than ever before. Whatever their beliefs may be or who they believe in, they're fierce adherence to it. A loving conversation is no longer trusted to bring about change. Instead, social protest and violence prepares the way for legislation so that one knows just how passionately a person holds their beliefs. Words are for war and triumph, not dialogue and care. Forget talk. Talk's for politicians. 
It's time to act. It's time to go to war. That's the thought today. But for us Christians, it's God's war on sin and the devil which matters. God delivers people, not through legislation, but through Christ, who suffered for our sin on the cross and rose from the tomb to reveal his triumph over death and the devil. This message is told by messengers who are themselves recipients of grace who speak in love, not anger, towards others. But of all of this in Timothy applies today. Pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers, presidents, vice presidents, bishops, whatever, were not to run roughshod over people or bully people around. People's lives are at stake. Our eternities are at stake. Being argumentative, overbearing, presumptuous, quick to accuse, all that is not in Paul's picture of leadership in Christ's ministry. Rather, Paul encourages us to teach with a gentle spirit. Some of us, like the pastors and the elders, are to be above reproach so that people don't dismiss the message based on the messenger. That's Paul's really real main point here. Don't let the messenger be a stumbling block to the message. So before we end our time with Paul and Timothy today, let's go back for a minute to those days when we played board games with our friends and shouted at each other, you can't do that. <laughs> That's against the rules. Never once, I'll bet, did we pull out the rules from the bottom of the box and considered them instructions from the manufacturer born out of sacrificial love for us children and humankind. No. But that's how we can confidently consider this list of rules in 1 Timothy. In Jesus Christ, the eternal word became living flesh and live among us. God entered a saving human relationship with you and me. God began his good work through human relationships. And he leads not only through his words, but through life experiences. So may he continue working through us for the good of others and grow through his care and gracious conversation. Amen.